A little girl came from home from Sunday school triumphantly waving a paper over her head. Mommy, mommy, she said. My teacher says I drew the most unusual Christmas picture she has ever seen. The mother turned, studied the picture for a moment, concluded that it was indeed a very unique picture of the nativity scene. She said to her daughter, this is wonderfully drawn, but why have you made all them ride in an airplane? The little girl said, well, that's because they took their flight to Egypt. She had a hint of disappointment on the picture's meaning. It wasn't immediately obvious to her mother. Oh, of course, the mother replied. But who's that man in the front of the plane? Mom, that's Pontius the pilot, the girl said, now visibly impatient. I see, said the mother. And here you have Mary and Joseph and the babe, the mother volunteered, studying the picture silently for a moment. She summoned the courage to ask her daughter, but who's that rather big guy sitting behind Mary? And her daughter said, exasperated, well, that's round yon virgin. (laughs) Of course, of course. She had a little skewed perspective of Christmas. We live in a society whose perspective of Christmas is a little messed up. We have a society that we live in and will continue to live in until Jesus comes to take his bride home that is more consumed with what we can get than what we give. Man, we hate to give up almost anything. We hate to give up what we think is ours, don't we? But when we think about Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us and what God did on that day, and giving us his son, we're amazed at the perspective of God who is the great giver. I wonder today, what is our perspective of Christmas? What are you consumed with today? What are you focused on today? On this Christmas morn, what are you passionate about? And what was God passionate about? Oh, in that day, like today, I'm sure it was a day of, of in time of sadness and darkness. God had not spoken a word in over 400 years. And we have a time of darkness in our land today. Interesting enough, some may say it's kind of bedlam out there. It's kind of crazy out there. Interesting enough, I read a story in the 1500s, St. Mary's of Bethlehem, a London monastery serving as a hospital, was turned into a city-run insane asylum. It was soon filled with many people considered hopeless in their condition. And crazy enough, for a small admission price, people could actually go in to heckle the inmates. It was shockingly a famous tourist attraction in Bethlehem. And over a period of time, they shortened the name St. Mary's of Bethlehem to Bedlam. To Bedlam. Ironic, isn't it? That Bethlehem and Bedlam are related. I'm sure on that day that Christ was born to those shepherds, to those people there, it may have seemed like Bedlam. It may have seemed strange. But God, when we read about God throughout the New Testament especially, we all hit, always see him in the position of the Father. We read in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the Father, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the, the God of all comfort. And 
Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, What shall we do in word and deed? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The first Christmas was to, was to speak of God's gift as God the Father. So this morning, I want us to take just a few moments to look at God's redemption plan from his perspective, from the Father's perspective. I'm going to look at three different subjects or areas this morning. First, there's the joy in the Father's announcement. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. A famous passage that often we read this time of year, Luke chapter 2, and we see the joy in the Father's announcement. The joy in the Father's announcement. Luke chapter 2, and we'll pick up our reading in verse 8. Luke chapter 2 in verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And they were so afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign to you. shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into the heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. For they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe. Lying in a manger, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told of them concerning the child. And all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and seen that was told unto them. Isn't it interesting that God first showed himself to shepherds? Now, some of you know what it's like to do work with animals. Some of you did some work with animals this morning. Some of you got out early and you broke the ice. Even here in north central Florida, it got cold last night. You broke the ice so the little babies, the little sweet things could have some water. You fed them, you nurtured them, you took care of them. And in doing so, you know, when you take care of animals, oftentimes you, you can't, you can't, Get, work with them for long before you start smelling like them, right? And before long, you, you start, if you're not careful, you start looking like them a little bit. I mean, you just get all messed up and stuff's all around you and fur and all that stuff that you have to use to clean and care for animals. So shepherds weren't the cleanest folks in the world. They were actually ceremonially unclean. They could not come in the temple because they are always dealing with death, the, the bearing of the animals, the birthing of the animals. And they, they could not stop on the Sabbath day, which in that day was Saturday, to say, okay, you, you sheep, you all take a break, and we're going to go ahead and church and come back. <laughs> it, didn't work out, it didn't work that way. So the first people God, that God announced the coming of his son to was shepherds. Shepherds, these people who were unclean, these people who were unkept, he shared them, he shared with them the wonderful announcement. If you realize, we're all unclean, aren't we? The Bible says all of us are sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
We struggle with that because we compare ourselves with one another. You look over there and say, well, I'm better dressed than that person, and that person didn't even wear Christmas this year, and, and I didn't get a gift, or I didn't even get a card from that person. We compare ourselves with one another, and the Bible says that's not wise. That's not wise. Why did he come to shepherds? Because shepherds were just simply lowly. They didn't think a whole lot about themselves. They knew who they were. They were the lowest class of people. And dear friend, until you and I humble ourselves, the Bible says, even like children, and recognize our sin, we will never be saved. The problem is we love our sin so much as a people that rarely do we recognize our need to cry out to God for help. It's only in times of tragedy in our country. And I can say this personally, among, when as, as I work with people, as I work with you, it is only in times of tragedy that I get often a phone call from one of you saying, Pastor, I need your help. But dear friend, we are real, if, we, if we're honest, we always need God's help. There shouldn't be a day and shouldn't be a time that we don't get on our hands and knees before God of the universe and say, Lord, I need you today. I cannot do this. The shepherds, in all their shepherding, could not save themselves. And as Americans, we cannot save ourselves. Not being by, by being good or friendly or kind. Not by giving great gifts or in charity. Or in warm wishes or even saying Merry Christmas. We cannot save ourselves by anything that we've done. We need a Savior. And God provided a Savior to them as God had provided a Savior for us. The Bible says in Colossians 1.19 that it pleased the Father that in Him should all the fullness dwell. In Christ, all the fullness dwell. And God was willing to announce His Son's birth. And that caused Him great joy. But secondly, not only we observe the joy in the Father's announcement, we hear the satisfaction in the Father's affirmation of the son turn one page if you would to Luke chapter 2 and we'll look at Luke chapter 3 Jesus began his earthly ministry at the age of 30 interesting enough Joseph at the age of, of 30 would begin his opportunity to minister to the Egyptians and to his own people the Gentiles the Gentiles and to his own people the Jews and save them from the famine interesting enough it was David at 30 years of age who became the, the great king, ultimately, who would lead his people. And, and a Levite had to be the age of 30 before he could minister unto the people. Interesting that John the baptizer, of course, his cousin, comes and sees him, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And, chew, and, 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 and Jesus humbles himself to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now, Jesus didn't have to be baptized to like we need to as identification because of our sinfulness. Christ never sinned, not one time where he could not be the Christ. But he did to identify with human, humankind, to identify with each of us as we someday would need to be baptized. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, straightway coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open, the spirit like a dove descending from him. In Matthew chapter 10, 3 and verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and the, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lining upon him. And even in John chapter 1, verse 32, John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove in a boat upon him. 
And here in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized, praying the heaven was open, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. The Son always did that which pleased the Father. Now every son that's in this room could not say that. I being one of them. I could not say in my life that I always did those things which pleased my father. And there's not a son or a daughter in this room could always say that you've always done that which pleased your father. All of us, if we were honest, probably could say there's been many times, maybe more times than we should, that we dishonored our mother and our father. We've done things we shouldn't. But Jesus never sinned, not one time. That's so amazing about Jesus Christ. One author said, imagine the unforgettable demonstration of each member of the triune God at the same time. You could touch God the Son, you could see God the Spirit, and you could hear God the Father. They were all there at the baptism of Jesus Christ. What did the Father say? He said, thou art my beloved Son, in, in, in thee I am well pleased. We see two parts of it. First of all, the first phrase, thou art my beloved Son, that's a relationship. That's a relationship. Each one of us has a relationship this morning. Maybe you're here because an invitation from a father or from a mother. That's a relationship. And that relationship is, is ever binding whether you like it or not. Some people won't fellowship on this Christmas day because sin breaks that fellowship. And that's what happened in the garden as we talked about yesterday. Because Adam, who was a, who was a, a son of child of God himself disobeyed the father and ate of that forbidden fruit and because of that that disobedience the sin of all his sin was was passed upon all men as the Bible says in the book of Romans for all have sinned but Jesus Christ the second Adam when he was tempted as mentioned again last night did not sin so there's a relationship but secondly not only is a relationship there's a fellowship it says, in thee I am well pleased. That's well pleased. See, all of us have a relationship. We weren't hatched. We weren't, we weren't uh, brought down by aliens. We we're all birthed into this world. Amen? But we have a relationship from a mother and father, even though maybe those mother, mother and father may not be here anymore. We still have a relationship. But secondly, there's a fellowship. That fellowship must be worked on. It doesn't just happen. You probably, if you're married or if you have children, have had to work on a fellowship, haven't you? Uh, you've had to go to them and say, hey, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. Or I shouldn't have done that. Or that was wrong. Because, dear friends, if you don't humble yourself and do that, you may have a Merry Christmas, but you won't have a Happy New Year. <laughs> You'll probably today, on this day of Christmas Day, even this day, disappoint somebody. You'll probably say something or do something. Just knowing us folks as folks, maybe not act the way we should. Oh, we're burned the turkey or the ham, or we won't have biscuits when we said we would, and we went out and got just loaf bread. Somehow, some way, we'll need to ask forgiveness from someone. And how do you how do you do that? By just being honest and saying, "I'm sorry. Will you forgive me?" That's fellowship. Thank God for the relationship we have, but dear friend, to maintain a good relationship, you have to maintain a good fellowship. Do you have that fellowship? When author wrote, 
the Father would have pleased unparalleled communion, unparalleled prayer, unparalleled meditation as he grew in the comprehension of who he was and what he was to do. The Spirit had governed the Son's progress and Son had submitted patiently, waited all these years in earthbound time and restrictions to bring about redemption's plan. Imagine the patience of the Son of God waiting to the age of 30 to begin God's redemptive plan to save the world. Three years. Why not at 15? Why not at 18? Why not at 20? Because he listened and obeyed the will of the Father. And dear friend, if you want to be successful in 2023, you know what we have to do? Obey the word of the Father. You obey that book. That's why I encourage you to read it. Because if you don't read it and don't understand it, how can you obey it? Now, some of you probably may have bought in a vehicle and you thought to yourself, you know, this vehicle doesn't do what it should. Well, I'm going to ask you a question. Did you read the instruction manual? <laughs> probably of you have had that thing in your glove box and you haven't opened it up one time. And you wonder why that thing goes ding, dang, dung. <laughs> but there's probably a reason. If you listen to what? Look at the instruction manual. Dear friend, you can't be successful unless you look at the instruction manual. Start at Genesis 1-1 or Psalm 1 or Matthew 1, but wherever you want to start, start somewhere so you know how to be successful in life. We discover the heart of God by the Father and his joy of the announcement. We hear the satisfaction, the voice of God, the Father, as he affirms the Son's perfect work. But finally this morning, the time that we have left, we reveal the love of the Father's activity through his Son as the gospel is given. Turn to John 3.16. One of you know this by heart, but if you'd like to turn there, John chapter 3 and verse 16. It's probably the most quoted verse that we say as Christians. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have the have everlasting life. For God, the divine giver, so loved the world, the maximum degree, that he gave the utmost proof, his only son, the ultimate gift, that, what's the, who, that whosoever, the broadest invitation, believeth in him, the simplest response, should not perish, the greatest escape, but hath everlasting life, the ultimate promise. Let me share with these, in these moments we have left, a little more detail about these, these great love that God has for us, the great giver. And God's activity through the Son. First of all, we see God. For God, he is the divine giver. Now, interesting enough, if you read John 3, 16, you, re you recognize, if you have a red-letter Bible, that this is Jesus speaking. It's not John. John it's not John, the, the author of the book. It's not, someone, it's not John the Baptist. This is actually Jesus Christ who, who's saying these words. And he's talking about his activity as a son that has been given to him to do because of the Father. God is the divine giver. He is the origi originator. He saw fit. He saw the need for us to be saved, to do what we could not do to, to save us from our sin. The gift of salvation is not man to God. It's from God to man. It's from God to man. It's from God. He is the divine giver. Secondly, he so loved the world. God so loved the world. It's a maximum degree. The world here is the Greek word cosmos, which is used 186 times in the Greek New Testament. And it always refers to a, 
a sinful has a sinful connotation. Amazing truth. God loves sinners. Now we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with loving people who are not like us. Uh, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, you might not like the Browns fans. I watched the, the immaculate, not conception, but we talked about the immaculate reception and Franco Harris, who died this last week. I watched a little bit of that. And those Raider fans, well, they sure are still upset at those Pittsburgh fans. <laughs> and they got beat by Pittsburgh last night. Oh, if you, if, you, if, if you do something different than somebody else, you might not like what they do. If you're from the north, you might not quite like things in the south. And if you're from the south, you might, like, if you might not like some things in the north. In the south, you might be used to eating grits. In the north, you might not say, what's a grit? <laughs> I'll take my oatmeal. Everybody's different. God so loved us. It wasn't just a little love. It was so love. F.B. Meyer, the great preacher, was in his study one night. Before bedtime, his son came over to him, and he climbed to his lap and said, Dad, I love you 100 pounds. That's as much as he can imagine. Then he said, now, Dad, I, I love you 100 miles. That's as far as he can imagine. Then he, he with his little hands, he grabbed his dad's, his dad's face and said, Dad, I so love you. God so loved us. It's not just a little love, dear friend. God so loved us. That's the maximum degree. He gave that he gave. That's the ultimate proof. In truth, the love of God is not a feeling. It's an action. I read about a couple who was having some marriage difficulties, as sometimes they do, especially around Christmas time, because he spent too much or she spent too much, and they, neither one of them actually know how much they spent. But credit card bill is coming, and truth will be told, but not today. Oh, not today. So they had a little argument, had a little spat in the pastor's office, and they came to basically an impasse. And the man said to the woman, I've given you everything. I've given you a house. I've given you clothes. I've given you a car. I've given you everything. And he said, said, you have. Except yourself. Except yourself. You see, God didn't write his love in the clouds. He could have. God could have every day as we stepped outside our door had the stones cry out, I love you, I love you, I love you. He didn't. God could have it written on the sands of the sea, but he didn't. When God wanted to communicate his love, what did he do? He showed up. That's why we sing Emmanuel, God with us. You know what we have to do is if we, show, if we really love somebody, oh, words are good, and we should say the words, and we should say them often. But, dear friend, if you really want to communicate love to somebody, you have to show up. You have to actually be present in every relationship that you're in. Because too many of us say we love each other, but we're really not present in that relationship at all. But God and his love showed and demonstrated it by giving us the ultimate, ultimate proof. Not only that, he gave his only begotten son. Monogamous, meaning his only unique son, his supreme gift. I love what Jeff Bush, he said, God had only one son and he made him a missionary. He made him a missionary. 
he was willing to give. His only son, that which was most precious, he didn't have two, three, four, five, six. No, he had one son. His name was Jesus Christ, and he gave it to us. And whosoever, that's the broadest invitation. This invitation to the world to accept God's gift, his only son is given by God out of love for the entire world. For whosoever is for those in America or Russia or China or Africa, no matter where you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your culture is, no matter what your background is, no matter who you are, God's son died for you. That's why when we get to heaven, there'll be every language and every tribe of every nation. And that's why we send out missionaries, not just to the United States of America, but to every people. Because God's love is not just defined to us who speak English. It's for every person. It's a gift. Oh, this Christmas, there'll be some people left out of the gift giving, won't they? <laughs> Always loved it at Christmas time when, when people gave out gifts. And, and then the kids said, well, I got five gifts and, and so-and-so got, got ten gifts. They start counting gifts. Who got more gifts? <laughs> but dear friend, there was one singular gift from the Father, and that's his son. And all of us can partake in that gift. That's whoever, whosoever, that's the broadest gift. Believeth, believeth in him. That's the simplest response. We don't have to do anything for it. I'm so thankful. We don't have to show up every Sunday this year. If we, don't, if we miss just one Sunday, we miss the gift. Now, you might not get a Christmas gift because you did something or said something you shouldn't have. You might get coal in your stocking instead of a gift. Coal instead of candy because maybe you said something or did something or something happened and you had a present last night but you woke up this morning and now you have no present at all. <laughs> but dear friend, the simplest gift, simplest thing we have to do is simply believe. The Bible says this way, John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even the, to them that believe on his name. You can have salvation simply by faith in the Son of God, simply by believing. Thou will confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. If you're here this morning and you're not sure of your salvation, you just simply need to believe in what Christ has done, that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, that Christ is the only way to heaven. For he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me and trust him. Place your faith in him. Repent of your sin. Be willing to go a different direction. And by faith, place your, place your trust in him alone. Afterward, after last night, we were back there in the office. I was talking to Brother Pete. And I saw someone at the door. And a man came to me and said, that prayer that you prayed last night, I prayed that. That prayer you prayed last night during the service, I prayed that. He said, what do I do next? I said, show up to church. Read your Bible and pray. Those are three fundamentals of faith. You do those things, you will grow. And dear friend, that's for anybody. You may be a child at five or you might be 95. But the simple, simple, simple faith of a child can save a soul. Do you believe that? Should not perish. It's the greatest escape, God's greatest escape clause Ever put in print, God doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standard. He doesn't ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, he assumes our sin. 
he became our sin so we could escape, so we would not perish. Hell is a real place. It's a horrible place. As I mentioned last night, it was not created for man, but for the devil and his angels. But if you will not accept Jesus Christ and if you will not accept God's perfect gift, Jesus Christ, your friend, the Bible says you will perish. I can't imagine hell. I can't imagine a place so horrible, so painful, a place of literal, literal fire. Not just for a little while, but pain and suffering and torment forever and ever and ever. Now, all of us have had in life to endure some things. Some of you have endured, had to endure great physical pain, great emotional pain, great mental pain. But, dear friend, you knew there was someday was going to be a day that was going to be over with. Some of you have endured uh, a, a college degree, and that was painful, <laughs> or a master's degree, and that was painful, and some of you even a doctorate. That <laughs> was painful. But you knew it. maybe someday you saw there was a light of a tunnel, but when you, a person goes to hell, there's never a light. There's never a hope. There's never a thought of someday I will leave this dark, terrible place. But it's not God's will that any should perish. But every person, everyone, come to repentance. It's the greatest escape. But half everlasting life. It's the ultimate promise. It's the ultimate promise. That we can have everlasting life. My dear father-in-law Richard has been to heaven for just about a week now. He went to glory at 448 last Sunday. He was in pain for many years. But today he's in no more pain. He's in no more suffering. And as sad as it is to see our dear friend and loved one not with us anymore, we can rejoice and be glad because he's in a perfect place. And the reason he's in a perfect place because he received the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ alone. And dear friend, it is a promise of promise. That we can have, each one of us can have. Now some people I'm sure had made promises. I promise you, and you heard the promise maybe last January or last February or last March that you were going to get something. You were promised a gift. Ladies, you were hoping for a diamond ring or jewelry or something. Maybe as you see on TV, a new car. Something like that. And you didn't get it this year. Somebody promised you, and everybody in this room's been promised something, and we, our hearts have been broken because you didn't. That promise didn't work out. But, dear friend, God has never made a promise that he did not keep. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God has, is, and always will keep his word. You place your faith in Jesus Christ alone, you will have ever lasting life i'm so glad it's not just life a little while i'm so glad it just it's not just temporary i'm just, i'm just i'm so glad it doesn't run on batteries as so many things do today i don't have to charge it up like a like a drill and battery needs charging i don't have to fix it i don't have to work on it no i have everlasting life and if I lay there on the ground and do one thing to the day I died, I still have everlasting life. 
On my best day, I have everlasting life. But dear friend, on my worst day, I have everlasting life. I cannot lose it because God himself has given it to me. A wonderful, wonderful day when Jesus took my sin away. Do you rejoice that you have everlasting life? As you walk down the halls of Walmart or Target or Kohl's or Publix and you see those hollow eyes who have nothing to live for but paste pearls. This day is the best thing they'll ever have. It's a gizmo, a gadget. Oh, some sweet thing or some, some simple thing. They will grasp it. They will have it. And not long, they'll be giving it over to goodwill or the inheritance of somebody else. But everlasting life is forever and ever and ever and ever. Do you have that this morning? Christmas was the choice of the father to send his son. Christmas is the father's gift from his, far, his heart to yours. It is an opportunity for us all. Oh, what love God bestowed to us in giving us his son. In the days of the Great Depression, a Missouri man named John Griffith was controller of a great railroad drawbridge that spanned the old mighty Mississippi. One day in the summer of 1937, he decided to take his eight-year-old son named Greg with him. About lunchtime, they went up to the observation area and had lunch and they were enjoying their time together but 107 p.m. John heard the whistle from the train he knew what he had to do he had to get up and go up to the control tower and he had to push that master switch to put the drawbridge down so the train could come that Memphis Express was on its way with 400 passengers and he was looking over to the bridge and to see if there was any ships that were in the way, and he saw none, but as he looked over to the other side and down, he saw his son stuck in the cogs of the gears of that bridge. And he had to make a choice which no father in the whole universe would ever want to make, his son or 400 people. And the needs of the many are always greater than the needs of the few. Or the one. And so John, with his hand in his head, thrust the master switch, and the drawbridge came down and crushed his son. The Memphis Express came through. John lifted his head, tears in his eyes, pain in his heart. There was businessmen reading their afternoon paper. There were ladies sipping their tea. There were children with long spoons eating their ice cream. And he looked at those folks and he said, I gave my son for you. I gave my son for you. One thing different between besides John and the father is God did not hesitate. God loved you more than his own son. And he was willing to give him so that every one of us could have everlasting life. 
Do you know him this morning? Do you know him? Christmas is the gift from heaven of God's Son given for free. If Christmas isn't found in your heart, it will not be found under the tree. Father, we thank you for your gift, your unspeakable gift, your wonderful gift, your amazing gift. How great a gift is Jesus Christ this morning. I wonder if there's one in this room who does not know Jesus Christ. Maybe you made a, a, maybe you made a decision when you were young, and, but now that you're older, you're just not sure. You've had doubts. Maybe through this last year, through struggles and pains and sorrows and, and ponderings, you've struggled with really being sure that you know that you know Christ is your Savior. Oh, dear friend, may I beg you, don't trust in simple decision. Recognize that you need to be sure of that relationship. If you have any doubts, would you today, with childlike faith, recognize that you're a sinner? That Jesus Christ is the, the only Savior? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And would you place your faith, your trust, not in a decision, not in your religion, not in your past activities or who's your parents, but in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. If you would, today, would you pray this prayer after me? Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. But right now, by faith, I place my trust in you to save me from my sin. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me your child. I look forward to being with you in heaven forever. If you prayed that prayer, that simple prayer, could I see your hand so I could rejoice with you this morning? Anybody at all? Amen. Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Pastor, I prayed that prayer this morning. I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Maybe you're a Christian this, this morning, but maybe you saw yourself <laughs> as I see myself so often struggle with my own selfishness struggle with my own humanity and not loving the way I should not caring the way I should not being the example that I should and say to be honest pastor the words you spoke about God's love and his gift I struggle with being that type of person and being the Christian I need to be dear friend if we could give anything to Jesus this morning how about we give ourselves how about we renew our commitment to Christ and give ourselves? Is that your prayer this morning? Pastor, I need to be better. I need to be better. Amen. I need to give of myself. I struggle. I struggle. I struggle with selfishness. I struggle with wanting my own way, doing my own things. I struggle with following what God wants me to do and doing what, instead of that, doing what I do. I'm struggling. Would you, anybody else today? I say, I, I'm struggling, preacher. Amen. Anybody else? I'm struggling. I struggle. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning as the hymn plays. If you ask Christ to be your Savior and you want to make that public, you're welcome to come this morning and see Brother, Brother, Brother Clayton or just come to the altar and say, I got saved this morning. I asked Jesus to save me. If you're struggling with your selfishness or with some other sin, you'd like to come to this altar and just ask God to save you. Would you come? 
What would you give Jesus this Christmas? How about giving him yourself? This year, not about me. This Christmas, not about what I get. It's all about him. 